0: All right guys, welcome back! Uh, another episode of the Dogbone Podcast. Um, I have a list of podcast topics that I'm uh, hoping to knock out here for you in the in the coming weeks. Um, I'm probably going to be recording several of them. Ben is doing a great job of making sure that we are regular with the posting of them. So I'm pretty sure he's posting them on Tuesdays. Um, I think he posts posts them on Tuesday afternoon, but if i'm it's either tuesday or wednesday i should i should should probably know that but um he's doing a good job with it he's holding me accountable so i'm going to start off this is a podcast this episode is actually going to be um familiar uh format that you're used to question and answer this comes from a question from and i think it's a good question which is why i want to share it because i think more more than this will help more than just this person um it's also a question that came from our private library uh, with membership to private library, you get a different email address that comes to me. I've got, I had no idea of you guys, but I just realized that in my Instagram, there's an actual DM or message thing that isn't my primary or something. It's called a requested one or something. There's hundreds and hundreds of messages in there that I didn't even know existed. I have a hard time keeping up with the regular ones in the primary and and I've, I've already told you how, how I feel I, I don't feel good about it, but I, it's just impossible for me to be able to keep up with questions that come that way. I am um, doing a pretty good job so far of keeping up with the private library questions, although that is getting, you know, I'm four or five days out on a couple of them right now. So this one, I'm actually further than that. And the reason was, is it was a little bit longer question. It was quite a long question, actually. So I'm only going to read part of it, but... Um, I'm going to message the guy and say, hey, I couldn't do the length of it justice by trying to text it or message it back to you. So I just I'm going to turn it into a podcast. Um, But I also think it'll end up helping other people. So I'll jump right into it. Um, This guy sent me, like I said, quite a a message. I appreciate him being a member uh, of the training library. That's where he got access to this. He gave me a little background on him and his dog. He's got a 10 year old dog. He's now got a younger pup as well. Um, so he shared some story behind that. Here's his question. It says, it's a question on grouse hunting technique with the labs. When your dog gets birdie and seems to be trailing a grouse too fast, do you call him back or do you let him go in hopes of him flushing it back towards you? It depends, I suppose, on the cover, any specific training techniques on this besides putting the dog on wild birds as frequently as possible for success. Yeah, I don't think, I don't think putting the dog on wild birds as much as possible for success is necessarily the answer to this specific question. I think that's a generalization that's probably pretty true in most scenarios. Um, The more hunting, the more experience, the better they seem to get. More specifically to this idea of when the dog seems to be trailing the grouse too fast, this could apply to anything. It doesn't mean just grouse. It could be any type of bird. It could be any type of game. If they're getting too fast and getting out in front of you, his question is do you call them back or do you let them go in hopes of flushing it back towards you yes you're right it is situational and it all depends my feeling is this when i'm working in in a good podcast for you to listen to would be one that we recorded earlier with uh nick larson from the bird shot we did one specifically on retriever um or, or hunting grouse with labs i talk an awful lot in greater detail and he nick had some really good questions so I'll see if Ben can maybe put that a link to that in the notes here, too. But that podcast was very specific about this question. But the short answer to this, because there's more questions coming, is I think it's situational. I prefer dogs to work within gun range, regardless of if the bird is running out in front, because most of the time they are going to run in a ton of scenarios. They're going to run. Pheasants, I think, are even more so likely to run out in front of you. Um, get beyond that gun range. And so there's two ways I handle it. One is if the dog seems to be getting out of range, and I always say they're kind of running downhill, like their momentum is pushing them away from you, I'd stop them on a whistle. So I'd give them a stop whistle, stop them, and either speed up to them myself, get closer before I release them, or i just take regular pace of whatever it is till I get close enough to them. I'm usually trying to work with them. So I probably would increase my pace, try to get up to them a little bit, okay, and release them, let them get going, and try to keep with them. I I think, you know, in the moment, you got a really short window Um, when you get on a bird, I think you have a relatively short window of time to get a bird in the air and execute a shot on them. So I'm working with them, I'm not necessarily, expecting them to make the bird slow down because that's not gonna happen. So I do think you gotta work with the dog. But yeah, if it gets to the point where I'm losing, I feel like it's getting downhill to me and I'm losing control of it. When I say downhill, I mean figuratively. They're getting away from me, stop on the whistle. That all just comes back to the foundation. That just come back to the control. The other part of it is, is I, want a do- I don't want dogs to be in a habit of ranging beyond where I want them, which to me in the grouse woods is probably not much further than 20 yards, um, depend again, it totally depends on the cover and it depends on, on a lot of variables, but for the most part, 20 to 25 yards is about as far out as I want them. And it doesn't sound like a lot, but that's quite a bit in the grouse woods. And I find that, you know, one of the things that you said here was, would you let them get out and try to flush the bird back? If you listen to the podcast with Nick Larson, you'll hear me talk about Uh, one of my dogs named Ellie, and Ellie's pattern very much creates birds that come back to me. I've shot a lot of birds over the years with her in the grouse woods of the bird flushing back over the top of me. And that just had to do with her pattern more than anything, not necessarily her range. She doesn't get out any, no further I would say than any of my other dogs. It's just the way she sweeps the woods. She ends up, she, she takes a pattern where she'll go down a trail, if I'm on a trail of any sort, and it doesn't have to be like a road, but I'm talking like it might be a deer trail, um, might be an overgrown logging road, whatever it is, she'll take that general edge that I'm walking or that that line that I'm walking. And she typically goes out, cuts into one side or the other. And then I'll see her, I'll end up having her pop out like, right at me or pop out slightly behind me back on the trail. So she makes like a big a big loop. And what Because of that pattern, I didn't train her to do that. That's that's just something that she does. And I like it. it. It has proven to be really successful in the grouse woods. But what it ends up doing is it creates a lot of shots at birds where she's up maybe 25 yards when she pops into the woods. And between me and her is where that bird is. And so she ends up putting pressure on it back towards me, which is what gets that bird coming back to me. So not something that I trained her to do, but it is something that I enjoy that she does do with regularity. So, but as far as like, if she were to get out in front of me too far and she was on a bird tracking, actively tracking a bird, and I see she's birdie and she's going down, I would keep saying going downhill, like she's she's getting momentum and we're losing the connection of, uh, of me and her, both in you know actual connection, but also in the the distance then I'm just going to stop her the whistle. And my dogs should be able to stop to the whistle in distractions. We train for it. That's part of what's valuable about that skill is the skill has to be greater than the outside distraction. That's that's when it becomes habit. And so that's when I feel like the dog truly understands what you're asking for. So if if something runs and they see it and they're chasing and you don't have the ability to blow the whistle, single blast and stop them on it, then you probably you you know exactly where you need to work on because you got to be able to do that. And that's whether it's a deer, it's a rabbit, it's a bird, it's a whatever. Um, That's just a very basic command that I think they all have to have. So now let's go down to the next part of your question. It says, uh, my pup, George, which I believe this puppy is around, let's see if I can find it here. Um, I thought you said it was around six months. Yep, is now six months when you're writing this. So it says, my pup George is now doing great on foundation work and 30 to 40 yard unmarked retrieves in familiar environments, training in the yard and around my house. However, he's very shy, sensitive, and skittish in new settings. The skittish nature distracts his attention and simple foundation work that he does great in or around familiar settings is difficult for us in those distracting areas. I have been taking him on different, to different areas to work on things. And I keep these excursions, positive, fun experiences, a few more marked retrieves, not worried about steadiness. However, I can feel myself getting frustrated that he does not perform the foundation work well. And I do not want him to get frustrated as well. These training sessions are never long, 10 minutes and they end positively. Should I take him into new lo- to work in new locations, or should I just take what I can get and focus on excellent work in familiar environments, do less better? Question mark. How concerned should I be that he that he won't grow out of it? The answer will probably be to continue to work in both familiar locations that I need, and that I need patience. Is there anything else that you recommend? So there's a couple things in what you just described to me. I think you're jumping around a little bit. You you start out talking about retrieving. So he's doing great on foundation work and 30 to 40 yard unmarked retrieves. Let's not confuse stuff. I don't consider retrieving work and foundation work necessarily the same. So just by definition alone for simplicity's sake and so that everybody understands what we're saying. If we're gonna start talking about retrieving, now some of that can be very basic. 30 to 40 yard retrieves are very basic, but I'm not gonna call that foundation work for this scenario. And I don't think that's what you're referring it to. But I think that's part of the confusion because you're talking about retrieving and foundation work. Because then you go on to say that um, it says, I keep these excursions positive fun. A few more marked retrieves and not worried about steadiness. A marked retrieve and an unmarked retrieve and steadiness and unsteadiness or not asking for steadiness. It's all retrieving stuff. Okay. They're just different variations of retrieving. Let's separate that let's for this conversation, let's put that in a different bucket. Then let's talk about foundation. So foundation to me is re- is very easy stuff. Recall come when I call you sit still. If I tell you to sit, sit down, sit and stay for a while, be patient, heal. Those are all things that I consider like the real pillars to the foundation. So I think that, and then you start talking about retrieving, retrieving is I don't care if it's as simple as a 30 yard, uh, trailing memory, which for some is a lot, so, you know, it could be five yards retrieving, whatever it is, but five yards and 30 yards is a big difference. And it depending on where you do them is a big difference as far as distractions. So an under a non-distracted area to me is a hallway from a hallway. I go to my front porch from my front porch. I might go to the other side of the porch, but it's open to the yard from there. I might move to the tree line that's next to my yard. You, you probably have heard me talk about all this stuff. It's very incremental. I don't, I don't look at it and go, well, retrieving in my yard is one thing. And retrieving at the park with a lot of distractions of other dogs or animals is another. Yeah, that is, but it's a very dramatic, drastic thing. And quite honestly, the very beginning isn't nearly as controlled as I'd like it to be. So I I do think that we lose focus on how important it is to start with simplicity and have success, get the dog to do it in a very easy spot, make it easy on them, then make it a little bit harder. And if you make it too hard, they'll tell you. Like if they struggle, it's too hard. So then you got to back it up a little bit. And, and there's lots of different ways of backing it up as far it could be the environment. It could be the the challenge in what you're asking them to do. The difference between being steady or not steady. I've got a dog right now, Rain, that, man, I've just made some really nice progress with her. And, and, and I did a podcast on the struggles I was having with her not too long ago, six weeks ago, maybe. Um, and prior to that, I was having a lot worse struggles with her. So we're coming along. But what I think is important to understand is that the, the, what I call, I don't, I don't have like a set thing based on any ages. And and this, we haven't even talked about this. You got a six month old puppy. So you got a really, really young one. I'm talking about rain. That's just turning a year. Okay. Now that's really, really young too, but it's double the age of yours. It's a hundred percent older than what you've got. So I've got more room to be frustrated and I'm not. And I think that's just a really important part of it because if you are frustrated, which you've already said you are, that's really going to create issues. And so combine that with a six month old and it's even compounding even more. So you got to be able to figure out how to say, you know what, this is no big deal. I got to just let this thing happen as it's going to happen. I got to do my best to set the dog up to succeed and have these realistic expectations. So that's, that's another whole topic. But when I come to retrieving with rain, there was times, and there still are times I'm just now getting past the idea of letting her break whenever she wants. And the reason was, is because, She just didn't have enough confidence. I didn't think she was as confident. So you describe your dog as a little skittish, a little shy, a little sensitive. I described my dog as sensitive. This one was sensitive. And so that sensitivity required me to be empathetic in retraining and realize I can't ask the same things out of her that I asked out of her sisters, because I would have gone the wrong way in training with her. And that would have been my fault. So I had to kind of, I had to kind of bite my tongue at times and go, you know what? I'll treat you like you're a lot younger than what you really are. I'll cut you a lot more slack. As long as I'm moving towards the idea of building you up a little bit, making you feel a little better about yourself. And so without that, you'll never be able to get them where you want them to go. You got to build that confidence in them. And so that takes you putting your frustrations aside and you can't just pretend that you're not frustrated because your dog would call bullshit on you. He knows if you're frustrated and trust me, there were moments. I know I was frustrated with rain and I had to just stop because I wasn't going to gain anything anymore. No matter. I don't care if you, you can't pretend you can't fake it. If you're pissed off, you're pissed off. Stop. Do something different. There was, there was times for a while there where I took rain for walks. That was our work. Because I knew that if I tried, I wanted to retrieve, I wanted to do some of the stuff that was in the field with her. And I knew that if we had, we, I knew what we had been doing over and over and over again, it wasn't working. And if I just keep pushing on it, it's not gonna work because it wasn't helping me get any further along with it. So I had to, and it certainly wasn't helping her and she knew it and she's sensitive. So magnif- it just magnifies all this stuff into the wrong direction. So at times, you're, the answer so where you say is should I continue to work with them in new locations or should I just take what I can get and focus on on the on the excellent work in familiar environments I think it's all the above you should continue to work. so if you got him excellent here's the here's the sequence you've got him excellent in really familiar environments. He's six months old. Okay, it didn't happen overnight. It took a while to get excellent wherever it is. Whatever the reasoning was, is the confidence was there. Your instruction was good. All the things, the dog was mature enough, physically and mentally, all the things lined up for it to click. So you got, you got something to build on. That's the beauty of it. It's not like you haven't found any success. You've just found limited success in limited situations. So now what you have to do is you have to duplicate and replicate that process in different spots. And what you're, what's what's creating an issue for you is you'd like to do it quicker and in bigger chunks than what the dog is capable of doing right now. So it's your fault, okay? And I'm not saying this to be mean, but it's your fault. It's not your dog's fault. It's yours. The beauty of it is, is you are rational about it and you're going to be okay with saying, you know what? I just have to slow down a little bit and I got to take what he said and put that into practice, which means The answer is all the above. It's not and or, it's all. So what you need to do is take new places that are slightly new, like that you don't, doesn't mean you have to go to the most exciting new place and try to, to fight through it. What it means is just slightly change the location and simplify what the ask, simplify whatever it is you're asking for and find it there, get it, win there. And then do it again and again and again and again until you can say to yourself, I'm getting, in your words, excellent work in what is a new environment. But you know what that new environment is going to become? It's going to become a familiar environment, which might mean that the reason is that your dog finds success. Now change again. Take what you picked up in the new environment that became familiar and go to another new environment. Slightly different, maybe slightly more challenging. Dog will tell you if you've gone too far. If you've gone too far, make it a little easier. And maybe you start asking for stuff in those familiar areas, the two places prior, the place you were really good at your yard and then the place that became pretty good because it became familiar. And you maybe ask a little bit more of them in those spots. All the while you're going to a new spot and asking very little because the environment is new and now you got to make it be good in that spot. So take the pressure off by making it an easier task in a more challenging environment until it becomes good. Then it becomes familiar when it becomes familiar. You've said your dog gets good when it gets good in a familiar area. Now you can start to ask a little more. At the same time, move to a new spot. See where I'm going with this? You're just gonna replicate stuff over and over in new spots and you're gonna start simple and you're gonna slowly make it more difficult. And then pretty soon you've got four, five, six locations at varying degrees of difficulty as far as what you're asking of the dog. And you sl- all of them are on an upward trajectory. You're improving in all of them. You're not equal in all of them because you're, you've already told me that it takes a while for this dog to develop. And what will end up happening is, is you're probably going to get through this, these phases and all of a sudden the dog conquers one thing, conquers another thing, conquers another thing. And you're in a different state of mind because you've listened to this podcast now and you're becoming more positive at the idea of, you know what, we're just going to take our time and we'll, we'll take what they give us and we'll, we'll grow a little bit. we'll roll. And next thing you know, you're feeling pretty good about your dog. Well, this might be over the next six months. Now you've got a 12 month old dog that starts building its own confidence you're more confident in it now you get take two levels of confidence that are a lot higher than they were today and watch how the things just start to blossom i'm almost sure that's how it's going to happen for you it's really i'm i'm telling you the story of me and rain and it's going to be you and your dog but that's that's what it takes but you have to you have to realize don't say well at 12 months we're not quite there now i'm upset because i don't know if it's going to take 12 months Might be 10. Might really look good. Might look better earlier. But it doesn't matter. So I hope this is going to help you because what it really needs to do is it needs to get your mind changed on it. And you need to start looking at it as less pressure on you. Less pressure equals less pressure on the dog. Because the way you've described the dog, that dog is not going to thrive by you trying to force it to do stuff. You You got the type of dog I like. A little bit a little bit softer dog, a little more sensitive dog. Now, it takes a different touch with dogs like that. And it it maybe takes more patience with dogs like that. I I don't know, I be honest with you, I don't know if it takes more patience. Because for me, dogs that are just so wound tight and so able to take the pressure, and, and those drive me nuts. So maybe those, you know, it depends on you maybe as much or more than anything. But to me, I I can't stand those dogs. I don't, those aren't my favorite for sure. These very, very sensitive, overly sensitive ones aren't my favorite either. Which one takes more patience? They probably take, they both, it all depends on the person, but they're, they're probably not far off actually. They probably both need a lot of patience. And then that dog in the middle, that's the sweet spot, which is what we're always trying to, what I'm always trying to find They take a hell of a lot of patience too. So let's not kid ourselves. This whole thing takes a lot of patience. And I don't think we can lose sight of that because it's probably the number one reason people become frustrated in all of this is because we just have, we just, we just aren't, we're not very good at being patient these days. I can't overstate that. We're not good at being patient with stuff. And you're six months into it. And you've only had the dog for four of those six months. So here's the beauty of this. You're a member of the library and you got this message to me. And now I got this message back to you. I have a lot of confidence in you because you were, you're willing to put the effort in to watch all the videos, to try the stuff, to reach out to me direct. Like that takes a lot of effort. There are a lot of people that will listen to this. There's a lot of people that won't ever listen to this because they'll never even get this far. They'll never put this much work into it to listen to a podcast that become very frustrated with their dogs. And it's just not fair to the dog because there. too many people have expectations of stuff happening way too quickly and way too easily. None of this shit is easy. It all takes work. and as soon, And I don't want to pretend that it doesn't. I don't want anybody to think that, oh, just watch this video and it'll go easy. The video helps, no doubt, but it takes a lot of work on your part, and I won't ever pretend that it doesn't. That's the beauty of people that listen to this and the beauty of the people that follow us and do their own training. It's what really gets me excited because I love seeing people actually do their own training and have success with it. And I know they can. I've got we've got workshops coming up, and I'm gonna see 16 people at work at each workshop. That are going to be like the most motivating people I n- need in my life because it's they're they're the total walks of life, all different walks of life, the the widest spectrum of people we'll see over the next few months here in spring, and they're none of them are professional train. Well, some of them might be because we do get some people that are our trainers and they'll come and I learn from them, they learn from us. It's a it becomes a really good um synergy there but the the majority of them will not be professional trainers the majority of them will work regular jobs doing other stuff and they'll be most of them are really good at whatever it is they do but the dot they're here to because they want to be able to train their own dog and that's inspiring to me because i see so many people succeed with it once they start to understand more and more how to do it and that's you know that's the whole point of what we do Our goal, like our whole thing is help people get more out of their relationship with their dog, whether it be by using our products that I like that part of it, but it won't matter if you don't know how to use them. The best products in the world don't matter. So that's where I, that's where this comes in. That's where podcasts come in. That's where the training library comes in. It's all about the practice of the, the, the craft, if you will, or the trade, like it's, you got to do it. gotta know how to do it. Then you actually have to do it. So, uh, Brad, I'm going to send you a message. I, I really think that this probably helps more than just Brad. I hope it, I hope it does anyway. If not, Brad, you got like a really, um, way better, way more in detailed answer to this question than I would have been able to by typing it to you. So I hope it helps guys. I, I appreciate your support. I did mention a little bit about workshops. We do have some workshops coming up. We're partnering with Um, Buffalo Nickel Lodge, which is a really exciting thing for me this spring. It's coming up pretty quick. It's a month and a half away. It's mid-March. We are going to go down to Kansas. I'm really excited. I got uh, Chris Smith coming down there from Michigan with me. I've got Noah uh, Parson from Kansas, who's going to be with me. Both of those guys were with me last spring for the workshops. Um, We're going to be at Buffalo Nickel Lodge, which is a really, really interesting place. They are working to they're they're like an operating lodge so it's like and it's like i think it's pretty fancy like uh, we're gonna i i don't know that i'll fit in here it's a little classy for me probably but we'll, we'll figure that out but it's a really nice place that does hunts and they have a great facility and a great setup for training so that's part of why it was i was drawn to it but the other reason i was drawn to it is because they have a part of their business that they're looking at calling buffalo nickel university which is outdoor related obviously it's connected to the outdoors but educational stuff and when i saw that i followed these these guys build this place out guys and gals it's actually the gal courtneys who i'm working with there a um, guy named pete is one of the is the founder of it i follow them on instagram and i i started watching this project kind of unfold and they did a really nice job of documenting the actual process of the thing, building it, and it was intriguing to me. And then I realized I knew it was going to be a hunting lodge, but then I realized it was also this thing that they're doing called Buffalo Nickel University, and their 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 goal with it is create learning environments for outdoor stuff. And I thought there is no better place for us to work with than than an environment like that to train for gun for hunting dog stuff. And so I felt like our workshops we do them here in Wisconsin. We're going to be having one in Wisconsin in May. I'll be announcing those dates um, shortly, but I'm focusing on trying to get the Kansas stuff set up because of the short turnaround, March 15th, 16th, and 17th. If you have interest in that, you can send me a message at jeremy@dogbonehunter.com, or you can go to, um, I think you could go to Buffalo Nickel Lodge, and they have a sign-up form that's actually through another website called Mallard Bay. And if you go to Mallard Bay, I think it's mallardbay.com and you type in dog bone workshop, you'll it'll pop up. But that's where all the information is. Uh it's a foundation workshop. It is similar to the one content-wise that we host here at our place. Uh, it is also a pre- this this is the f- workshop that is a prerequisite to all of our training days, workshops which we are also planning to uh, a training days here. I'm working on location and finalizing some details on that as well. Maybe remote. Um, we're looking at a couple locations right now. But that's one that folks that have already taken the foundation workshop are eligible to go to. And that one is, you can see some of this stuff on our YouTube. You can see, also see some of this stuff. A great place to get an in-depth look of what these workshops are all about is to go to our training library, go to the workshops, and we have hours and hours, multiple seasons of recorded uh, workshops that are still being loaded actually right now. Once, once a week, we add a new episode to it. Um, but that'll give you a, a really good look at what we cover and how we cover it. As far as the workshops go, um, it's dogs of all breeds, it's dogs of all ages. And we talk about training the trainer, not the dog. We're, we're trying to give you the skills that you can go home with and then put into practice for the rest of that year. A lot of folks come back to them. And we see people come back to either foundation workshops, multiple seasons, and or the training days, which um, we'll have more on that coming soon. So I'll wrap it up. I appreciate you guys supporting the podcast. Thank you for supporting us as a small business. It does mean more than you guys know. If you you like this and you would do me a favor, wherever you're listening to it, as far as uh, an app goes, if you could leave us a review and a rating, that'd be great. It's what helps us Get in front of other people like you, and ultimately, that's what our goal is: is to try to help as many people as possible. Thank you guys, I appreciate it. Uh, I got a couple other topics I'm going to try to tear off here tonight, um, but Ben will Ben will rip them all out for you um, weekly as we continue to try to do our best to be um, to be really sh- as far as the consistency factor. We we want to improve on that this year for you guys. So, thank you, appreciate it. And we'll talk to you soon.